Good afternoon, it's Dr. Charles Venz, and you're listening to Healing Trends with Dr. Venz. And we try to bring you every week a new topic that has been either not covered before or new information has been gathered that reveals something that we didn't know about and that you should know about. And so I think this topic that we're looking at today, we're going to call it Cancer Accelerators, some new perspectives. Uh, because when you look at cancer in the breast cancer model that, have, that has been used in the past, cancer cells seem to accelerate or grow at the rate of, of doubling every three months. So if you start with two cells, at the end of three months you have four, and at the end of the next you have eight and so forth. The problem is when you look at those numbers, after eight to 10 years, there's four billion. Now I know statistically you're looking at this and going, this is impossible, but believe me, it's possible. You can do the math yourself. So this is something that we've looked at because when you do the testing for breast cancer, mammograms are the kind of gold standard. And mammograms need about 4 billion cells in order to see a tumor. So this is really difficult because by that time, it's usually stage one or stage two cancer. Whereas thermography can see 200 cells heating up and starting to change their function. And while it's not a direct indication of cancer, it's a very close correlation. And so if you use thermography, you can find these cells that are going to be on their way to the development of cancer years and years, probably eight to 10 years before cancer actually is diagnosed. Well, something is happening because in the last couple of days, there's been articles out there that have talked about the acceleration of cancers with younger people, even teens. Cancer in U.S. teens soared and, uh, since 1970. Another one, cancer in young adults is rising. And so I'm thinking to myself, why is this happening? Why is cancer accelerating? It used to be a illness of more or less the age at 50, 60, 70 years of age. Now teens are getting cancer, 20s and 30-year-olds are getting cancer. And so we're going to talk today with my friend John Barson from Total Health Magazine about what do we think is behind this? What are the accelerators that are causing cancer to come so much earlier in the lives of people? So, John, welcome to the show. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. I hope that I've intrigued you with this topic and that we can get on with discussing what you think and what I think, too, are some of the things that are causing this. You realize this podcast is only about a half an hour long, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> One, you could spend six months to a year just digging into all of the potential causes <laughs> to dig up the studies, to back to back the claims. But yeah, I was talking with somebody, one of our other doctor contributors the other day, and she was telling me that they think that we're exposed like daily to over half a million different chemicals just in the environment and our food, like collectively. And not to mention so much of the water is toxic in the country. The foods are toxic, the processed foods with, and we're going to talk about it on the next show on fatty liver disease, but man, oh man, fructose. I've avoided fructose for, I don't know, I mean, probably close to 20 years when I learned that fructose was bad for you. 
But yeah, there's just, there's, and the medications, the medications that suppress the immune system and you need a strong immune system to fight cancer. So if you weaken your immune system, cancer spreads. So there's a lot to talk about here. I think you just hit on a couple of really good ones. I think sugar is certainly one, fructose. And I think medications is another one. There's some other things that I think, because we have to be careful that we're not just saying it's just the volume of things that are causing this acceleration. Right. Because I agree with you that toxins are a factor, and it may be that there's a tipping point. That once you get to a certain level of toxicity in your body, then all of a sudden the cancer forms earlier and advances faster. And so I'm still hoping to find out what these accelerators are. And I have to go back to the development of the cell phone and the use of these electronic devices, computers and cell phones. Yes. And I think one of the major contributors as far as the accelerator go is this electronic radiation that once the, once we started to get more computers and more cell phones being active, this is one of the things that kind of breaks down the defense mechanisms of the cell. The membranes become stiff and they want to resist the radiation. And so anytime a cell is trying to resist something, it stiffens. It doesn't allow the nutrients in, doesn't allow the toxins to get out. And so I would say, along with obesity and sugar and toxins and medications and all those things that kind of set the stage for the development of cancer, that one of the true accelerators is this electromagnetic radiation. This is something that's really causing a breakdown in the cell's ability to defend themselves. And the best way to understand it is take your smartphone. Most people have a smartphone. Download one of the many free apps that allow you to detect Wi-Fi signals. Now, most of our listeners are probably living in an urban or city environment just because of the numbers. And just do that and see how many different Wi-Fi signals alone you're exposed to. And that's not counting cellular right? All the cell towers. I saw a study some time ago of, it was a building, an apartment building with a bunch of cell towers on the roof of the apartment building. And the incidence of cancer of the people that lived in that building was 30% higher than the statistical average of the population, 30%. Well, and I remember going to look at a property once that I was thinking about buying and I have a gauze meter. And so I, I did the gauze meter test and it was off the wall off the chart and especially in the bedroom where the it was a it was an empty residence right now but in, in the bedroom it was like the gauze meter was hitting the back and just going as, as far as it could and it couldn't go any further and i thought what the heck's going on i looked outside and there on one side of the residence was electrical lines I mean, not just local ones. These were regional lines. They were carrying a lot of electricity. And on the other side of that building was a great big television tower that was just generating a lot of microwaves, right? And when you put the two of them together, they created a perfect triangle of where this bedroom was. And I said to the real estate agent, so do you happen to know where the people are that kind of lived in here, they passed on where, oh no, they're in the hospital. And I said, would you mind telling me if you know what their diseases are? And she said, yes, one of them has brain cancer and the other one has Alzheimer's. And I thought, holy cow, this is just frightening. 
because this was just those two factors. This doesn't, this didn't even take into account what you were talking about with the Wi-Fi and the toxins and the sugar and the medications. But it's like a stew. It's like a cancer stew. I, I don't want to interrupt you on this, but there was one other factor. You just reminded me of it because <clears throat> when I was living in San Diego, I did the same thing in the apartment I was moving into. And uh, I checked the Wi-Fi, the gauze, I checked everything. And the bedroom, if it, where the bed was, I set the bed up in the bedroom, there was a smart meter on the other side of the wall. I moved my sleeping to the living room. And uh, when I saw how much was going on around me, and I can't remember if it was you I was talking to back then, it probably was, that got me interested in this. And I checked, I couldn't believe it. Man. I got rid of my microwave, I turned off everything at night, but I was still surrounded by everybody else's radiation. So I did what I could for myself, but frankly, it wasn't until I moved out here to the river where when I test to see if there's any Wi-Fi, if I turn mine off, there's none. <laughs> like there's zero. And myself, and I'm so far from a cell tower that my phone works like 10% of the time. So that's good and bad. Well, that's a disadvantage. It's good and bad, exactly. Yeah, because you know what happens, right? If you're the farther you are away from a cell tower, the more your phone puts out the signal to try and grab that signal. Yes, yes. Well, that's one of the reasons why I, I don't carry my cell phone on my body. I Neither don't. Do. I use the speaker instead of plugging in anything or touching it to my ear. And I think those are the kinds of things we have to let people know about. I mean, I've hardwired my residence so that all the electromagnetic radiation is in the garage. If you go in there and you turn on a meter, it goes off like a like an alarm. It's just unbelievable. But if you can minimize it that by not having any electronic devices near your bedroom, near near where you sleep, not signing up for the smart meter. Get rid of the smart meter. That's a great idea. Try not to live near these towers because I'm fighting a 5G tower right now in my community. And 5G is going to be one of the worst of all. In fact, I just wrote an article for Municipal World magazine. It was published in August of this year. And it's all about how Canada could take the lead in radiation safety if they followed some of the basic guidelines for what's causing the health damage of these radiation devices. And so I speak about the electronic cars, electric cars, <laughs> and even the hybrid cars. But I speak about all these other things that you and I have talked about. And I just say they, they have to realize that countries around the world have been legislating against this radiation for a long time. I mean, there's dozens and dozens of countries that have passed laws, especially for young people. They don't want these devices to be, some of them in France, they banned like cell phones. In the, in the, can you imagine in America telling teenagers that they couldn't have their cell phones? There would, there, wow, yeah. there would be a revolution, right? But that's what countries are doing because they know this is the only way they're really going to protect the health of people because people aren't willing to listen to these things and make intelligent choices. Well, and I think people also compartmentalize things that they hear. And maybe because they go, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Or And going back to breast cancer that you brought up earlier, it's a fact. I mean, there's so many studies now that have proven that women should not keep their cell phones in their bra 
because, I mean, they are two-way microwave radios, and the soft, fatty tissue of the breast just absorbs the radiation. And there were so many case reports of young women with no family history of getting a diagnosis of breast cancer, getting tumors that were usually, or I should say unusually, located right underneath the skin where they placed their cell phones in their bras. So if yeah. it causes cancer in women, women's breasts because of the cell phone there, well, if you carry it on your hip or you use it on your ear all the time, think about that. Well, yeah. The other thing that one of these studies revealed was that since 1970, when Nixon, by the way, declared the war on cancer, I think this is a really strange and ironic coincidence, that increase in cancer among young people has been 30% in the last 50 years. Some of the cancers are up by 300%. Kidney cancer, for instance, in younger people is up 300% compared to 1970. So the other cancers that are the most prevalent are thyroid, gastrointestinal, breast cancer, testicular cancer. So there's different kinds of cancer that are seen to be manifested here. And the University of Oregon did an analysis. I mean, for, there were two analyses done. One was done by your friend, financed by Bill Gates' group. And that study said 45% of cancers were preventable. And then he, right. they talked about the risk factors. And one of the risk factors was people should have more, use more vaccinations. And I thought, oh, my God, this is an accelerator. This is not a cancer cure. This is a cancer accelerator. For every vaccine known to mankind, there is a natural alternative that's safer and more effective. And I don't care what vaccine you're talking about. So that was ridiculous. And, and my, my numbers say that about 90% of these cancers are preventable. And when you look at the things that the University of Oregon came up with, they're talking about birth control bills being a problem. They're talking about sun exposure. There are big city toxins in food, obesity, substance abuse. I think they got it a lot more right than the Gates Foundation did. And they also mentioned UV radiation. And so we're starting to get a picture that's being developed. Sometimes it's a distorted picture, like the one from the Gates study. Sometimes it's a more accurate one, like from the University of Oregon. But I think that a new one is emerging, and this is the ultimate accelerator. It's COVID infections yes. and COVID injections are now proving to yes. be the greatest accelerator for cancer and other diseases of anything ever known to mankind. And a new study, I mean, we've been, I've been saying this for two years, a new study has come out and said and verified this virus does not leave your body. Even though you may test that you don't have it in your body, it stays in your body, it stays and does damage in your body. And so if you think, oh, well, I'm over the symptoms and I don't register as having COVID, I'm fine. I'm so, so sorry to have to say to people, this is not how it works. The body is able to continue to allow this virus to do the things that it does, including the development of cancer for years after you've had it. And so the studies are now pointing in this direction very strongly. And I think that, I don't know, let's go to some solutions because I think we've touched on a couple, but I think 
these are going to be a combination of personal solutions and systemic solutions. And so let's take a crack at the solutions. So the first thing I'd like to recommend to our listeners is visit a website called Grassroots Health. Net. Grassroots Health is a nonprofit organization that has been researching vitamin D for many years now. And uh, they've recently published a book. It's called Vitamin D and COVID-19, a summary of published research ebook. Now, it's all, it's not just COVID. It's, it goes into cancer. It's, they were the ones that I first discovered that uh, if your vitamin D levels were high enough, and I'm talking like up around 70 IUs in your bloodstream, or 70 IUs, 70 um, nanograms per millimeter, that you can reduce your breast cancer potential by under 70, 75%. You can reduce your prostate cancer under 70, 75%. You can reduce your colon cancer under 77. I mean, this is the cheapest solution on the market. So my first recommendation is buy that book. It's $15. But now you can, once you have it as an ebook, you can share it. You can give it to your friend. I mean, and they want you to do that, right? They want you to share that research. So it's a summary of all the published research that we talk about, a lot of what we talk about. And if you're doing your own research, which we always encourage you to do, then I recommend that. And the second thing is, I mentioned this before we went on the air, but it's research I've been doing into chlorella. There's something in chlorella called the growth factor. And mind you, it's also got vitamin D and iron and K and magnesium, omega-3-6s and so on. So it's a fantastic superfood. But I think one of the things that research is going to find is that the, there's a small component in algae called the growth factor. And the growth factor is the, that gives the ability of chlorella to repair cells. And it's generally destroyed in the manufacturing of chlorella because they have to use a heat source or something that destroys a lot of the actual nutrients in that complex mechanism. But if you can get a clean, organic, sunlight-grown or chlorella product, look into that. But be careful. If you're on um, immune-suppressing drugs, check with your doctor before you go on chlorella or blood thinners because it does have vitamin K. So that's, but look into that. But I'm learning more and more about chlorella for detox. And I think it's going to, and the research on it for, yeah, this is why I want to bring this up. So a study on chlorella and cancer, uh, it had one study, followed 26,000 participants. So I just want to put something in perspective here. So 26,000 participants, and they were made to find how, how important chlorella was for stopping the spread of the growth of cancer. So 26,000 people studied. How many people were studied for the latest round of approved jabs for the new Pfizer and the new Moderna? How many people? I don't know, probably less than that. Zero. It was only tested in eight mice, and that's a fact. You can fact check me. Eight mice. And now they've approved it for eight, the Moderna jab for 18 years and older and the Pfizer version of that one for 12 years and older. No human studies. What would you rather take? Vitamin D or chlorella or... Anyway, sorry, your list. Carry on. No, that, I think that following up on that, the solution, the best solution for breast cancer for women is, first of all, check your vitamin D3 levels. Make sure they're somewhere between 50 and 90 nanograms per milliliter. Second, start getting therm thermography in your late 20s. Because if you wait till your 40s or 50s, you've waited too long. Those 200 cells that are going to deteriorate if you have the start of it, they'll be shown in your late 20s. So these are the two things that if women, every woman in the country did this, regardless of age, we would wipe out breast cancer within 10 years. This is just 
unacceptable that we would allow this cancer to grow the way it's grown over the last 50 years. So that's one. The second one is, when I do my workshops, I ask people, how many people think they have a good diet, good healthy diet? 90% raise their hands. So I would say the second thing on my list is delusion, total delusion, because it's actually the opposite. 90% of people have a poor diet. We've now got five studies from reputable organizations proving that people just do not eat enough of the right things like nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables and fish. I mean, they just aren't doing it. I'm sorry. You can't have a Coke and a burger and then a salad and say, okay, I'm eating healthy. I mean, that just doesn't get it done. So that's my second one. The third one I would add is testing is terrible. Well, we already talked about the thermography and the vitamin D testing. Sugar levels. Sugar is one of the main perpetrators. And I would say along with that, exercise. I was at a doctor's office yesterday and there was a lady there and I've known her for 20 years. She's always been overweight. Now she's suffering and suffering really badly because she has liver damage and all other kinds of diseases that, that she should have been able to avoid if she had just lost the weight. But I said to her, you know, you need to do exercise every day because once you stop doing your exercise, your insulin receptors go to sleep. And the insulin receptors are the ones that actually are able to take all the sugar and glucose and absorb it and have it be used by your cells for energy. Can I give a tip here on exercise? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know me, I'm a lifelong cyclist and I do these really incredibly long rides and I've ridden all over North America. And I mean, I do it because I just love being outside in the fresh air and getting that exercise. And I used to train like crazy for this 240 mile ride from Kelowna to Vancouver over two mountain ranges, like the big mountains in British Columbia. And you train for that for six months. And I learned to have most of the way into my training that I was basically killing myself. And I switched to interval training. And thanks to Dr. Mercola, some research he had done and published an article years ago on how you can shorten the amount of time required for exercise. So a lot of people, I mean, have busy lives and kids and work and whatever. And I mean, I used to go for these long rides, but then I got less and less time. But when I started, I switched to interval training, which would take, so instead of going out for a four hour ride, I could go out for a half hour and I would do intervals or 15 minutes and do some intervals. And you know what? I got stronger and I lost more weight. So that's tip number one. Think about intervals. And what I mean by interval is if you're going for a walk, then time yourself in your head, get warmed up, make sure always warm up before exercise, stretch a little bit, warm up. But when you start your walking, walk really fast for about 30 seconds, like as fast as you can for 30 seconds. And then go back to a normal walk till your heart rate comes back down to about 10, 15% above normal. And then do it again. Just do that. Start the first time you do it the first time, just do it once, then do it twice. And you work your way up to six times. So that's one tip. The other tip, if you're a walker, again, referring to a research that I've discovered on Mercola, but then I followed up by doing more research is Nordic walking. So walking by itself, it uses about 40% of the body's muscles. Nordic walking, and that's where you use ski poles, they're like ski poles to walk, uses 90% of your muscles, 90. So you could do, instead of walking for an hour, do Nordic walking and walk for 15 minutes. 
Well, or put the little weights on your hands and uh, get the upper part or of your, your body. Or weights. Yeah. yeah. So I agree try with you. and find ways to get the fitness in if you've got a busy schedule or because uh, we procrastinate, right? Like we just, we procrastinate. That's the nature of human beings. Here's the thing. If you can just do it for three weeks, just think of it three weeks. I got to, if I do this for three weeks, it will become habit forming. Yeah. No, no. I, I have a lot of people that have been on my smoking cessation program and I put them on the green powder drink and I get them to exercise half an hour to 45 minutes using the approach that you're talking about. And within two to three weeks, they not only feel like they don't need to smoke anymore, they also say, oh, by the way, it seems like I don't need my diabetes medication anymore. <laughs> and so they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, yeah, really, I don't know how this happened. Of course, they wouldn't know how it happened. But just by doing a few simple things, getting your body a few more nutrients, and getting your body some exercise so that the nutrients can actually be driven into your cells and be used properly, it's just an amazing experience. So I've been doing the same thing for about 25 years. I used to run five or 10 miles every day. And I just thought, you know, I can't afford to do this anymore. First of all, it was not just the time, it was the calories. I had to eat four or 5,000 calories every day just to keep my weight up, right? And so by, by doing it less, but doing it the way you said, where even when you're biking, if you bike for about 30 seconds at the hardest rate that you can, and then just go another minute or two until you recover and then do it again, that's what gets you this interval training approach. So the, I think these are valuable things, John. And I think from the obesity point of view, I think parents need to take responsibility for this. I'm sorry, but... I have even kids in my family that are obese and the parents just aren't paying attention. They don't understand the health risks. And I've been trying to tell them for all these years, just get the glycomark test. The glycomark test will tell you five to seven years ahead of time whether your insulin receptors are sleeping, whether your pancreas isn't working the way that it should. And so these regular tests for sugar, like the A1C or yeah, A1C and the total glucose, they just no, don't work. By the time those things are elevated, you already have a disease of some kind. So the glycomark test is really key for this. So those are a couple other things. I've been thinking long and hard for the last few weeks about how something I've done has changed, and I can't figure out what it is because I mean I'm 66 years old, and I had I've been about 210 to 220 pounds in that range for 20 to 30 years, and even when I do all my long rides and all this exercise, I've just never. I mean, I may have gotten down to like 205 at one point maybe, but then back to over 210, or probably average 215. But since I moved out here to the river, where I'm not exposed to the urban environment, I moved out here in, I wanna say March, April time. I've actually kind of exercised less because I built an e-bike as you know, right? And so I've been riding my e-bike a lot and I ride it less than I rode my road bike before because I would try and get all that exercise. And then, I, as I mentioned, chlorella is because I've fallen in love with it. I researched it, and I went on this sun-grown chlorella from Australia. But I'm 190 pounds now. How did I get down to 190 pounds? I'm exercising less. The only thing in my diet has changed was the chlorella. I take my D, and I do everything else normally, but I dropped 20 pounds. I don't know why. I don't know how. Well, here's one of the keys that I've helped people to understand. Not only is intermittent fasting a good thing, but 
it seems as though the body craves things when it needs them. And so if you have a high nutrient diet, in other words, if you're doing the Mediterranean diet without all the junk food, all right, and you're also then doing a green powder, which gives you more vegetables, your cells will say, I'm happy. I don't need more food. And it makes intermittent fasting much easier to do. I like the greens first powder and... I think if people did that every day on a very simple shake with some vegetables and fruits and maybe made in coconut uh, milk, these people would drop weight like you can't believe it because the intermittent fasting works, but you have to have the high nutrient content so that the cells are happy and don't crave everything that they've been wanting but have not been getting enough of. That's the main problem. So that's the other thing. Okay, I figured it out. I fi- Go ahead. You, you just, I figured it out. Thank you. I figured it out. It's because when I came out here, it, it, I don't know when it started, but sometime after I got out here, I started having my first meal of the day later and later in the day. And now I don't have my first meal of the day until probably 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I have another meal in the, um, around 6 or 7 at night. And, I, and if I have a snack, it's like some nuts or I just eat raw carrots and raw broccoli and anything like that afterwards. But uh, yeah, I remember now because I read something about how important it is to help heal your gut to heal that it's not always a good idea to eat first thing in the day because your gut, like sleep, you get your, when you're sleeping, your body's repairing. And the same thing applies to your gut. You need to fast once in a while in order for your gut to repair. And I mean, I've always been eating first thing in the morning because, oh, it's so the breakfast is the most important meal of the day, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it might be the most important meal of the day, but I've learned that I can have breakfast in the afternoon. And that's probably why I lost all the weight. Ah, okay. I'm fasting every day. Cool. Very cool. Anecdotal. Anecdotal. No science. No, no claims. I, I'm just saying that worked for me. I know no science, but you know what? The science kind of is backed up by it, though. And so I think it's one of those things where you just confirmed it with your anecdotal experience. That's the key thing. So I think we've pretty well covered the heck out of this, John. I mean, I think that we've given people a lot to think about. And I think we should say some thank yous to our sponsors and move on. So first of all, I want to give thanks to our new sponsor, Cardio Miracle. It's almost like a multiple vitamin for your cardiovascular system because there's 53 different nutrients in it and it increases your nitric oxide levels. And I think it's one of those things where almost everybody has some kind of cardiac challenge now. I mean, I'm sorry, it's the most popular disease in the country and either you have a disease or you're on your way to it. And that's because of all the things you and I have been talking about. So Cardio Miracle, you can find it on my site. There's a 15% discount there with the discount code BENS. Another one of our long-term sponsors, it wasn't under this name initially, but it's Beacon Point Advisors. And these are financial advisors. There's 50 companies across the country that have joined in a network to provide financial planning services to organizations and individuals. And I think the difference is it's very personalized. It's not one of those things where you just take things off the internet and say, okay, this is what the trend of the day is. 
I think it really is a personalized service. And I think some of them have already been doing a lot of this health stuff. I mean, I know that fellow in Sarasota has been following my advice for about 20 years now of him and his family and his friends and his colleagues. And so Beacon Point Advisors, try to find out if there's one near you, if you need some help with uh, your finances. That's a company that might warrant consideration. Another one of our long-term sponsors is Paddock Pools. Paddock Pools has something really unique. They've had this uh, vacuum extractor that takes chlorine gas off the surface of the pool and allows people to swim in a really oxygen-rich environment. And this is going to optimize the exercise that you're getting. Whereas if you have these chlorine gases in your body, you're also having to deal with a toxin at the same time you're trying to get your exercise. So Paddock Pools has the vacuum extractor there in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Give them a call, give them an email, and you might have a project coming up and you could use this equipment. Another sponsor is DHA Labs. DHA Labs is probably the most advanced biomarker testing company in the world, in my opinion, because they've been doing it for about 60 years, and they're doing a lot of the more advanced tests. The ones that we talked about earlier that I alluded to that said, look, if you get these kinds of tests, you're going to find out that your cells are being challenged five to 10 years before any disease really starts. So some of the tests that I've worked with them to develop are the cardiovascular test, the cancer test, the wellness test, and the immune test. So these are tests that you can find out what your cells are doing before they become very seriously challenged. And the final sponsor is MPB Health. This is a medical cost-sharing company, and they're growing like crazy, and so are some other medical cost-sharing companies. But again, it's personalized. This is a company that's smaller, but growing and interested in making sure that people are well because the more well they are, the lower their premiums are. And in this case, they've been able to get reductions in your overall health premiums by 30 to 50% just by paying attention to wellness and doing some other things administratively. So those are our five sponsors. We really thank them a lot. And I thank John Barson for his great input today. John, you were more than ready today. Um, and also for our listeners, and we really thank you because we're getting more feedback from all over North America and around the world. And that means people are listening. They're appreciating what messages we're putting out there for them. And we couldn't be happier with that. So thanks to everyone. And we'll see you down the road the next one. Bye for now.